Jesus on it. Biblical, practical living ideas. If you remember week one, we talked about time. And that time is precious. Time is limited. God wants us to use our time to do the things we would like to do, but he also would like us to leverage our time into the kingdom. I said this last week. Think about it. In 60 to 100 years from now, which is not that big, everyone on the face of this planet who knows you will be gone. In other words, in 60 to 100 years, anyone who knew who Eric Segal was will be gone. Maybe there will be some relatives and they'll say, hey, see that homely looking guy? You're related to him. He died years ago. That's about it. Time is precious. Week two, we talked about marriages. The marriage relationship, I believe, listen, it was, the, it was like the first covenant God gave us in Genesis chapter 2 with Adam and Eve. It's that important. Pam is my wife. She's not here to compete with me. She's here to complete me, and we are to complete one another through God's grace. Last week we talked about the next generation and raising kids and, and how we... Uh, structure their lives, how we structure their behavior, how we structure uh, and talk to their hearts and move forward because God is very interested in these things. And I'll tell you what, the first week I was very excited to talk about time. The second week I'm very passionate about talking about marriage. But as soon as you start talking about raising children, you get into like some thin ice because some people can, I don't know if you want to talk about that. And this week we're going to go to a really taboo subject, money. I remember years ago uh, when Jack was just a small kid, we were driving one day in the car and uh, we were talking and we were saying these different things and he was asking me questions and, and he was probably in like middle school. And I remember that Jack, I told you out of the three kids, he, he's like the one who's like, you know, hey dad, can you explain to me how like the speed of light and the speed of sound, like, like you know, all these different, he would ask those kind of questions. One day he said, dad, he said, you know, it's kind of cool. I feel like I can ask you anything. And I said, yes, you know, dad of the year. Yes, you can, son, whatever you want to do. He goes, how much money do you make? <laughs> and I said, Jack, that, that's inappropriate. <laughs> and he goes, I thought you said I could ask you anything. I said, well, I know, but you, you don't, you know, uh, I, I, what? he goes, I don't know, Jack. He goes, Dad, I just want to know, like, how much do you money do you make? How do you manage to pay everything and do everything? How much money do you have to make to live? And I'll tell you what, I hemmed and hawed and hemmed and hawed because how many of you feel open to talk about anything? But at some point, when somebody goes, "Well, how much money do you make?" You go, uh, "Okay, that's that's like a swear word. You shouldn't say that." But I'm going to tell you that from Pam and I talking with so many families who so often are in crisis, it comes down to these four areas. How they handle their time, what's going on in their marriage, how they're raising their kids, and what's going on with their finances. Any couple in any kind of turmoil, I will tell you that those four areas somewhere are intertwined there. Some stuff is going on there. There's a reason why year after year after year after year, money problems are one of the leading causes of divorce. It's that important. And I'm going to tell you that in general, the church completely blows it talking about money. Because they do one of two things. And I'm going to tell you, we as a church do one of these things. One of them is, that's all they talk about. 
And that's all they preach about. And every single Sunday, every sermon, it, listen, it could be like, you know, and Jesus calmed the storm and everyone's going, amen. And that reminds me of how Jesus calms money into our, you know, like they'll, they'll hook everything into money or they don't talk about it at all. And so when Jack mentions it, I go, and the reason why I was kind of ruffled about it is I realized we never talked about it. It's like the elephant in the room. It's one of the biggest things that goes on in our world, and we can talk about it out there, but we don't talk about it in here. And I think that that is wrong. Listen, we are blessed to live in the country we live in. But I'm going to tell you some things. Uh, living in the United States is a God-given gift, but as a nation, we are big spenders. Let's talk about money for a second. The average cost for a new car in the United States of America is $46,000. $46,000. A new car payment is $736 a month on average in the United States. A used car payment is $523 a month. Yikes. The median price for a home in Salem County just past $300,000. The price for in-state tuition at Penn State, I have many friends who are going through this. Four years, $153,000. A pair of Air Jordan 8s, which I bought when I was a teenager, and I should have taken better care of them because I bought them for $45, now cost $210. Michael Jordan's been retired a long time, and he's still making it happen. The average American household has over $100,000 of, of debt, including their mortgage, on an average salary of $59,000. So individually, there's a lot of stuff going on with money. Now let's talk about our country with money. And this is where you... <laughs> As a country, our debt just passed $33 trillion. Just to give you a perspective, the interest payment on $33 trillion is $475 billion. So we are paying half a trillion dollars in interest. Yikes. Now, team that up with the federal government pulls in about $5 trillion of tax money a year. So we're $475 billion in interest and we're bringing in $5 trillion in tax money. Now let's make that hit home. Now if you pay off, to pay off the debt, every person, man, woman, and child in the United States of America, all 331 million of us, would have to write a check today for $94,000. Everyone, 331 million people. The United States has not had a budget and a surplus since January 1835. So we have never had a situation where our government had more money coming in than going out. And who knows who was president in 1835? Andrew Jackson. Ed voted for him. Listen. <laughs> Andrew Jackson, he's also famous for what? Oh, come on, you got to get this. That was good, but, but not what I was looking for. He's on, the, he's on the $20 bill. Goodness gracious, people. All right, so we haven't had that balance since 1835. It's been a long time. We are the largest producer of crude oil in the world. We're the largest consumer of crude oil in the world. We spend big, buy big, live big, 
and it can come with a lot of troubles. But see, here's the thing. Just like our marriage, just like our time, just like our kids, God wants in. He wants in. And anything in life, God wants in. And the reason he wants in is because guess what? Left to ourselves, we get in trouble. He wants in. Open your Bibles, if, if you will, to Luke chapter 14. We're going to look at three money matter kind of tips. Just some ideas to help us as we look at how God looks at money and how we should uh, examine it ourselves. Our three for the road, number one is have a plan for your money or it will have a plan for you. Have a plan for your money or it will have a plan for you. Let's look at this story. Jesus is talking about the cost of following him. He's not talking about necessarily a financial cost, but I believe there's a cost. But I think you're going to see in this passage that Jesus is saying, listen, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to follow me completely. I said this joke before to you, but if somebody were to say to me, Eric, are you married? And I said, most of the time, I don't think Pam would enjoy that. If somebody said, Eric, are you married? And I said, Monday through Friday, 8 to 5, yes. That doesn't work. Are you married? Yes, I'm married. Let's look at Luke chapter 14, starting at verse 25. It says, And great multitudes went with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and his mother, his wife and his children, his brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now you hear this and you go, ooh, this sounds a little un-Jesus. That's tough. He used the hate word. We tell our kids, don't use, don't say hate. I used to tell my kids, don't say hate. So they would say, Dad, I strongly dislike this. Don't say hate. But Jesus says, Listen, what I'm trying to tell you is if you're going to follow me, it's not like, well, I'm following Jesus, but this is right up there with it. No, you're following Jesus and you're fully in. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, now listen to these illustrations, for which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? So when Brian Neoff is building something at the orphanage, he doesn't sit there and go, how much will it cost? I don't know. No, you've got to measure this out carefully. Because if he gets halfway done and he can't complete, it's almost a waste of everything you've done halfway. Jesus says the same thing. Unless after he has laid the foundation and he's not able to finish, they will begin to mock him. A man who began the build and was not able to finish. Now look at verse 31. Or what king going to make war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? says no one goes to war knowing they're going to lose. No one picks a fight and just before the first swing they go, this guy's going to destroy me, but I'm going to do it anyways. No. I remember seeing an interview, they were talking, it was just a man on the street kind of thing, but it was a funny thing. They asked this guy, they say, hey listen, who's the toughest boxer, heavyweight boxer you've ever seen? And this guy goes, oh, so-and-so, he names this fighter, he goes, he's the toughest. And they say, what about Mike Tyson? What do you think? He goes, 
Tyson was overrated. He couldn't do this, he couldn't do that. Mike Tyson comes walking up behind him and stands there. And Tyson's not mad or anything, he's kind of laughing. The guy turns around and goes, I'm sorry. Why? Because no one starts a war that they're not prepared to win. If they think they're going to lose, they don't get into it. And what does Jesus say? Or else he will send uh, others a delegation when they are far off to negotiate peace. Likewise, whoever does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Now let's make this hit home. You have to have a plan for your money or it will have a plan for you. I think that we should count the costs in all areas of our life. I think we should do this regarding money. Here's some things I think we need to think about with money. You need to have a plan for money. If you don't think you need to have a plan for money, I want you to do this experiment. If you get, whenever you get paid, you know, once a week, every other week, if you don't think you need a plan, here's what you do. When you get paid, don't do anything with your money. And then two weeks later, when you get paid again, see how much of that money is left. Because how many of you ever realize that money just seems to bleed out? Kind of all over. And if you have children or grandchildren, they just come and hook a needle in you and just drain it out of you. Right? You've got to have a plan. Have a budget. Know what's going in. Know what's going out. I have an old school notebook that I write down so I know when my bills are coming in, when they need to go out. Organize your bills so that you can make sure that you're covered. I'll meet people and they'll say to me, well, Eric, we're really struggling. I met with a woman one time, and I know here in New Jersey, everybody has wells. Anybody have like city water around here? Anyone? You guys do, right? In Pennsylvania, most people have city water. I met with this woman one time, she said, we're really struggling with our utility bills and stuff like that. Now, right away, when I hear somebody struggling with utility bills, I think I think is that you shouldn't be surprised that there's a utility bill. In other words, Ed, when you get an electric bill, you don't go, what? We use electricity? No, we should know that. So the woman says, I'm a little behind on my water bill. I said, she goes, yeah, we owe like $1,400. I went, $1,400? How long have you been behind on your water bill? She goes, for about two and a half years. I said, that's really behind. How did this happen? Organize your bills so you know when they're coming out. If, if it helps you, like for instance, I get quarterly bills that can come and I can, how many people have that time of year where all of a sudden a million bills come all due at once and you just get nailed, right? So there's two ways to solve that. Number one is, Put some money in savings to make that bill when it comes so you're ready to go for it. Now, some people go, I try that, Eric, but then we spend the money in savings. Then just pay ahead. Now, people will say, well, Eric, then you don't make the money you could make if it's in your savings. But if you're having a trouble saving it, then just put it towards the bill. So my quarterly bills come in and they're much lower. Why? Because I've already paid towards them. Why? Because I want to plan my money out so I know what's going on. Um, live within your means. If you're struggling with a budget, listen to Dave Ramsey. Dave Ramsey is an excellent guy. His debt snowball has helped us to, Pam and I, to pay off immense amounts of debt. We are still have some debt that we're paying on, but we're managing it. The debt snowball works. Dave Ramsey, Ramsey has excellent advice on buying houses, buying cars, different things like that. Talk with him. My brother was a, is a banker, and I remember one time he told me, he said, Eric, he goes, this may come as a shock, but when you meet with that really nice banker and they help you organize all these loans, he goes, they really don't care if you go under. He goes, 
they're just securing assets. If you go under, they take the car. If you go under, they take the house. He goes, they're just leveraging how much money they'll make. He said, so make sure that you are using wise counsel about what you spend. Cars depreciate drastically. So buy a car, take care of a car, they'll last a long time. I grew up in upstate New York, everything rusts out. Here, we get snow once a decade and everyone goes crazy about it, but we really don't rust out cars because we don't lay salt. Instead, we lay 10 pounds of sand in the middle of the road and you gotta put your car in four wheel drive to go over it. Why do I share this? Because Pam and I have met with so many people who are falling behind, are struggling, and it's because of really poor choices. Way too expensive houses, way too expensive cars. I have friends that are my age, their kids have all moved out, and they sold their home and bought way bigger houses. And I'm thinking, why would you buy a bigger house when you're in your 50s and you have no one there? And my one friend said to me, he said, well, you know, someday we're gonna have grandchildren. I said, okay, so, you moved out of a three-bedroom house and got a five-bedroom house with this gigantic property and all these things. Your taxes have quadrupled because your daughter, who's in college and not even seeing anyone, is someday going to have grandchildren. Correct. Any financial guy in the world would go, that doesn't seem like a great idea. Pam and I are still in our quote-unquote starter home. When we looked at our home uh, and we walked through our home, the person said, you know, this is a beautiful starter home for a young family. Pam was pregnant at the time. Well, then what I realized is the starter home's a really great finisher home because no one lives with us now. <laughs> Vacations people can't afford. Proverbs 22.7 says, the rich rules over the poor and the borrower is a servant to the lender. Now, I'm not saying that you can't ever have debt. There's, uh, there's good investments. Listen, college debt, if you navigate it right, is wise, right? My kids went in-state to small private schools, Austin did and Chase did, and they've navigated their debt very, very wisely. Jack went out of school to the University of Hartford in Connecticut. His school debt is considerably more. However, what he's pursuing has a different pay ending than what everyone else is, and you've got to navigate that. I was talking the other day with a kid, and he's like, yeah, I'm going to school for sociology. I said, that's great. What are you going to do? Do you want to teach? No, I don't want to teach. No. Are you going to counsel? No. What do you want to do with it? He goes, you know, I'm not actually sure. My dad asked me the same thing. I said, so what will you do when you graduate? He goes, I don't know. I might go back and get my master's. In what? In sociology. I said, to do what? He goes, I still don't know. And I said, this doesn't seem like a great idea. And he goes, well, you're kind of old school. I don't know. But I'm going to tell you that if you don't navigate these things, the evil one Listen, the evil one, he wants to control your time. He wants to control your marriage. He wants to control your kids. And he wants to have a strong influence over your money. He will heavily push you to invest in happiness for yourself. And it'll never work. He wants you to overspend so that you're paralyzed by debt. Money is important. And there's no doubt that we need it. But it's not an evil thing unless we let him take it over. We need to have a plan because he will grab a hold of this. So have a budget, have a plan for your money, or the evil one will. Three for the road, number two. God wants to use our resources to do mighty things. God wants to use our resources to do mighty things. Open up to Luke chapter 17, verse 11. 
Luke chapter 17 verse 11 in my Bible is literally a flip of the page. Luke chapter 17 verse 11, Jesus is traveling and he comes through an outside of a town. It says, now there happened as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And when he entered a certain village, he met with him ten men who were lepers who stood afar off. Leprosy is a horrible bacterial disease. It causes disfigurement. It causes loss of sensation. People can lose limbs. It's awful. Today the World Health Organization estimates that there are still over 200,000 people in the world who are suffering from leprosy. Here's something I didn't know about leprosy until I did some research this week. Do you know that if you're diagnosed with leprosy, it's highly treatable, but you will have to be on medication for one to two years to fully get it out of your system. It's that powerful of an infection. These men are outcasts. Once somebody got leprosy, they had to live outside the city gates. They would stand outside the city gates and they would beg. And as people came into the city, maybe they would throw money on the ground. As they came out of the city, maybe they would throw food on the ground. They weren't allowed to be part of any part of community or part of public. It says, then he entered this village and ten men who were lepers stood afar off. And they lifted their voice and they said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. They go to Jesus, they see him coming, and they yell from afar off, have mercy on us. And so when he saw them, he said to them, and this is different than most miracles Jesus did. He said, go show yourselves to the priests. Now, what they would do is if you believed that you had been cleansed from leprosy, you had to go and present yourself to the priests, and they would examine you. You would give an offering to God, and then they would reintroduce you back into society. Jesus says, he doesn't say you're healed. He doesn't say, come here, I'll touch you. He says, go your way. Go to the priests. In verse 14, it says, and so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. Guys, how many of you have ever had trust issues where somebody says, well, just go, it'll be okay. But in the back of your mind, you're going, hmm. I don't know if I trust this. Jesus says, go to the priests. Yeah, but we're not allowed till we're cleaned. Go to the priests. And show them, and you will be cleaned. And so as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned with a loud voice, and he glorified God. He fell down on his face and his feet, giving thanks to him. And he was a Samaritan. Of course, there was a lot of racial tension between Samaritans and Jews. And this man comes down, and he falls on his face, and he gives thanks before Jesus. And Jesus says to him, were there not ten that were cleansed, but where are the nine? Were there none found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? What he's implying there is the rest of them were all Jews, and yet it was the Samaritan who Jews thought were half-breeds. He says, arise, go your way. Your faith made you well. See, here's one of the things I want to point out. For whatever reason, everything God does, he likes to involve us. Let's make this hit home. God wants to use our resources to do mighty things. He doesn't need us. He wants us. He made Adam out of what? The dust of the ground. He made Eve out of what? Adam. When he fed the 5,000, he said, 
How, how will we feed them? We don't have enough. Go see what you have. Did Jesus need the five loaves, the two fish? No. He chose to use them. He uses the disciples. He tells them, go and baptize. Make disciples. Why? Because Jesus wasn't capable of doing that? Why? Because the heavenly... No. God wants to use us. I always love these cute little pictures and they show, you know, grandmas and grandpas outside and they're doing work in the yard and they've got grandchildren helping them. Are the grandchildren really helping? My brother washed his car with his grandson the other day. Grandson was in charge of spraying the car. By the end of the car wash, the car's clean. The house is wet. The cat got sprayed. My brother's soaked. And everyone's happy. Why? Because he just wants them to be a part of it. And that's how God looks at us. He died on the cross for our sins. He loves us unconditionally. He loves us so much that he gives us the right to reject them. Think about that. He loves you so much that you can turn and say, God, I want nothing to do with you. And he'll say, okay. Because if he said, no, that's not allowed, that wouldn't be unconditional. That would be conditional love. And no one wants that. God wants to use our resources. Interesting enough, he wants to use his resources that he gives you for his kingdom and for your benefit. It's his money. It says in 2 Timothy 6.10, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness. And see, here's the thing about greediness. And pierce themselves through with many sorrows. With many sorrows. And so part of the reason, God's saying, listen, I want to use your resources that I gave you in the first place because if you hold all your resources, you'll become greedy. And if you become greedy, you will be pierced with sorrow. You will be pierced with sorrow. I'm going to tell you that some of the most desperate, lonely, heartbroken people I have met have pulled into my driveway with some of the nicest vehicles you have ever seen. And they'll show me, oh, this is where I went vacation here. This is where I went here. What's the, and I say, so why are we here? What's going on? And then all of a sudden, it's like heartbreak. Jesus told us. But money leveraged into God's hands, there's something pretty amazing. Like, let me give you some amazing stuff about what's going on when we leverage things in God's hands. Do you know that today, tomorrow, the day after that, every single day, 2.2 million children are sponsored through Compassion International? 2.2 million children every single day have clothes to wear, food in their bellies, education, and hear about Jesus Christ because money is leveraged in the God's economy. Do you know that over 4 million persecuted Christians get support, material support, emotional support, spiritual support through Voice of the Martyrs? See, you hear them preaching out about things, but you don't understand that they're also supporting those who are hurting. 4 million people. Cornerstone Women's Resource Center. 
which we support. They're one of our local mission partners. It's our way of helping people choose life. We do that baby bottle fundraiser. I marvel at this every single year. This year our church, through loose change, gathered $2,700 to help. I got a letter from Chrissy Berman, the site director. She said, Eric, teaming up with local churches and other individuals just like you guys, we raised $75,000 to help stand for life. And when I say help stand for life, it's women who are considering abortion who come in, they're loved, they're cared for, their needs are met, their spiritual needs are met, and and she'll say, Eric, it's like nine out of ten times when they see these songs, they choose life. And what is that? That's us saying, hey, here's some loose change. And God goes, I'll take that. I'll take that. Well, what are you going to do with it? Just wait and see. Because they've got some loose change, and they've got some loose change, and then I'm going to do something with it. Painting Freedom, one of our other local ministries, Tucker Rocky, who's going to be coming here later this fall. He's had eight, over 800 people stand and receive Christ at different rallies he's done all over the world. Including, last June, my friend Vince Donnelly, who was sitting right there and stood to receive Jesus Christ and then went home to be with the Lord a couple months ago. It's like the feeding of the 5,000, the five loaves and the two fish seem well short of what's required until we give it to him. God calls us to manage our money wisely, to navigate our lives. However, he wants us to leverage our money towards the kingdom. And I'm not saying this to try and guilt anyone in. I'm saying this to say we can make a difference because you take us and you add in, him into it, and who knows what could happen. But let's finish this up. Three for the road, number three. Hope community is greater than the sum of the parts. Be a part. Everyone's heard that quote, you know, the whole is greater than the sum of parts. It was said by Aristotle, the Greek philosopher. But it's very powerful. Let's look here at Mark chapter 12, verse 41. Mark chapter 12, verse 41, and we'll finish with this passage. Jesus is in the temple and he's sitting across from the offering. Now understand that offerings at the temple are very, very different than any offering you've seen done at any church. We put boxes in the bag, people give online. We, hey, it's between you and God. Some churches pass things. I'm not saying that's wrong. There's different things. But in that culture, what they would do is there were these copper vases, and they'd have an opening. And you would go and you would drop and pour your offering in these copper vases. And I attribute it to when you go to the bank and you drop change in those change machines. Anybody ever been in line and you hear one of those change machines go nuts and you see somebody with like a huge thing, you're like, oh my gosh. Well, people would drop their offerings in these things. See, guys, the wickedness of man's desire for pride and recognition never ends. And so it was even in the offering that they wanted people to know, right? And people go, wow, Sugul's really giving a lot. Look at that. And I go, oh, it's under the Lord. Don't look at me. <laughs> Pam and I, we just do what we can, and quite frankly, it's a lot. Thank you. 
Now Jesus sat opposite the treasury, and he saw how the people put their money in the treasury. He doesn't say that he saw people were putting money. He sees how, because it's a performance. And many of them who were rich put in much. Then one poor widow came, and she threw in two mites, which was, makes a quadrant. It, it, it's nothing. It's a fraction of a penny. And everyone's going, click, 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 click. And this woman kind of embarrassing goes, that's all her offering was. And I think people looked at her and go, well, she's a widow. Her husband probably died because she's probably a bad wife or something like that. There was all these stigmas against women whose husbands died. And she drops it in. And she probably has her head down and she probably hurries away because everyone's kind of looking, oh, that's pathetic. That's all you could find. You couldn't find anything else. But look what Jesus says. So he called his disciples to himself and he said, Assuredly, I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury. For they all put in out of their abundance, but she put out of her poverty, put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. Sister, listen. See the heart. You're seeing dollar figures, but God looks at the heart. And you know something that's interesting? Jesus didn't run up to the treasury, reach his hand down the vase, and pull out some money and go, here, you shouldn't be given. Take this back. No, because who was the woman determined would take care of her livelihood? The Lord. Now listen, I'm not saying everyone, oh, just give everything you have away. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying be wise about it. But here's the other thing. Do you understand that God realizes what you need? He understands what you need better than you do. Let's finish this up. This up. Let's say at home, hope community is, a greater, is greater than the sum of the parts. Can you be a part? You know, I think that giving to the local church is one of the most critical steps in the Christian journey, and I'm going to tell you why. It supports ministry bigger than just the individual. This building hosts a school five days a week. You know one of the things I like about this school? There are minorities that come to this school. And they walk in this room, and they walk through this building, and they're educated, and for whatever reason, they don't even know who I am, but when I walk around, good morning, pastor, good morning, pastor, good morning, pastor, every one of them. It's very interesting to me. And I am so grateful that we are doing this. I was talking to Ed the other day. I said, Ed, I don't know what's going to happen, but I think something is going to happen. I'm glad we're doing it. You may never go to a foreign country like what Ed and Sue and this group did, but you fund ministry that does. Your children may be grown, but when you fund the church, you fund for our teachers to have curriculum and resources to help inspire the next generation. When you give to the church, you help fund that our services stream over the internet. My son Jack joined a men's group up in Connecticut. They're talking and sharing about different things. The pastor says to him, says, you're a pastor's kid. And he says, yeah. He said, you know, I've got young children. I'm trying to figure out, like, what parenting a kid looks like in ministry. Jack says, well, if I got something for you, my dad just did a thing about uh, raising kids, and I got spanked. That's what he says to him. I said, Jack, geez, that's the first thing you got to tell the guy? He goes, 
Well, you talked about it. I said, I know, but I talked about a lot of things. That's what you told him? He goes, I thought it was funny. <laughs> Great. He goes, but anyways, all these guys want to listen to that. Wonderful. But these are benefits outside. And you might go, well, Eric, that's great, but what are the benefits to me? Well, church gives you a diverse community that you would not have on your own. See, I, half the people I know in this room, I don't think I would know any other way than we come here and we meet here. Lee and Sherry are dear friends of mine. Bob and Mary Beth Vite are dear friends of mine. But i got to be honest, if we're not here, I don't know that we know each other. Christ brings us together. See, that's the beautiful thing. A lot of people, their social circles are made up of people who look like them, talk like them, the same age, everything. But the church brings multi-generational. I hear that as a buzzword. We need more multi-generational in our society. And society's trying to cook up ways to have it happen. And I think God's going, I actually have had an idea for a long time. And it works really well. The church. People who, I know people who have kind of quit church, and they quit church and they go, well, Eric, I believe that the church is all wrong, and so we meet at a diner, and we solve all the problems of the world. And I'll say, that's great. When you're at this diner, is there anyone there who doesn't look like you, doesn't think like you, and doesn't believe like you? What are you trying to say? I'm saying that there's nothing wrong with meeting with a bunch of guys at a diner, but God intended the church. And if the church was really that off target, it either means that we're a lot stronger than God realized or God's a lot weaker. So which answer is it? Is the church meant to be around or not? Be involved in the church. Give to the church. It gives you serving opportunities. Last week I got to go to Millville and help serve. I really did. I buttered some buns. I don't know that I did a lot, but I had a delicious donut and I talked with some people and I ended up sitting next to a guy who was a Steelers fan and that was disturbing. But I love to be a part of these things. And that's the beautiful thing about the churches. It gives you serving opportunities to do things. It allows you to spur yourself on and learn. I learn a lot from you. I hope that you learn some things from me. I hope you learn from each other. It says in Romans 12, 15, rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. We live life together in a full way. And I think that's a beautiful thing. And I think that's why we need to be a part of the church. And I think that that's part of why giving would happen. But now I want to tell you some things, and I'm going to show you some things, some graphics, some things about hope that I'm really, really proud about, but I also want to challenge you. The first slide is about money at hope. So can we bring up that first slide, Eddie? Where does money go? Now, I want to show you this because I want to be really real with you because there's some things in here that I want you to know, but I want to be very truthful with you. First off, let's get the elephant out of the room. Yes, I get a salary. Thank you very much. You believe it or not, but when I go to Wawa afterwards to fill up with gas, I don't pull out my Hope Community Church business card and go, excuse me, I'm a pastor. And they go, holy cow, pastor in the house, 60 bucks on the house, fill it up. No, believe it or not, I still have to pay bills. So yes, I have a salary, we have benefits, but I want you to look at the other boxes. Yes, we have a mortgage, but I want you to look at that orange box because I think that's a really important box. That's our missions. That's what we give. That's what we invest in God's economy. I had a friend of mine, like there's, uh, some of my kids have gone through youth group and they're wonderful kids. Other of them have turned into kind of these terrorists and they tend to terrorize me online. And one of them said, well, I think the church should be paying taxes. They're raking in all this money. They're doing all these things. I told her, I said, you know what? If we paid taxes, we would never pay a cent because we give. We average between 22 and 26% tithe of what we do. And so I turned it right back and I said, Jenna, what is your tithe rate? 
And then she unfriended me. <laughs> but here's the point. We give. This year, we are on target to tithe over $45,000 to different missions. Global, yeah, let's give a hand. That's awesome. That's all of us together investing in God's economy. $45,000. Going to Africa. Going to Voice of the Martyrs. Going to Young Life Local. Going to Painting Freedom. Going to Cornerstone. And many other things. Why? Because we are convinced as a church that we will be a giving church. So when the school came to us and approached us about this whole thing, right away the elders said, okay, part of our mission statement is we want to be an asset in this community and we want this building to be utilized. And I remember sitting with guys who are from a school board and they're going, wow. I've never really heard that from a church. Well, I want Hope Community to be the kind of church where people go, I've never seen something like that. We're going to be that kind of community. So, now here's the funny question. You might be sitting there saying, well, where does this money come from? And I'm going to tell you something that's really honest. I don't know. And the reason is, is that I have no idea who gives what. I get bottom line figures of what goes on, but I don't know if you're given a nickel or $50,000. Whichever it is, thank you for being a part of it. I don't know. I had dinner a few weeks ago, Pam and I, with a couple, and the guy is an elder at a church. He said, well, Eric, how can you not know who gives in your church? I said, I just don't want to know. I said, I feel like if I know, I'll treat people differently. He goes, you can't treat people different. You're a pastor. I said, no, quite frankly, I'm capable of it. Paul says in Romans, what I don't want to do, I do. And what I do want to do, I don't do it. So I said to him, I turned it right back to him. I said, listen, if you went to my church and I found out that you gave $100,000, do you think I would treat you different than the guy who gives $10,000? He goes, well, well, yeah, but that's not right. I said, exactly. So I don't know who gives what, but I'm going to tell you what I do know. Let's go to this next slide here. Here's some little fish bowls, right? Started in the top left, we have $100 to $300 per month. We have 13 giving units. A giving unit would be like Pam and I would be a giving unit. We have 13 of them that give at that level. The next level down, $300 to $600 a month. We have 10 giving units in that bowl right there. Top right, $600 to $900 per month. We have five total giving units. And on the bottom right, $900 plus per month, we have four of those giving units. Now, why do I share this? Because I have told you that the church sometimes has not done a good job in talking about money. And we have not done a good job talking about money and that we don't talk about money enough. My mom has visited here many times. She goes, Eric, you guys don't say anything. She goes, don't you think that that's wrong? I said, Mom, I don't want to beat people over the head. She goes, Jesus talked about money, and you never talk about it. I didn't, you know, my mom, so are you a follower of Jesus? <laughs> talk about money. But guys, I want to have a healthy relationship with money in this church. Why? Because it's powerful. The other thing I want you to know is this, and I know everyone's got this creeping up in the back of their mind. Well, Eric's saying this because they're going to put a foreclosure shine on the building, and it's desperate, and they're going to have a big guy like Len stand at the door, and when you go to walk out, he's going to go, Jesse, you got your wallet? That's what's going to happen. No, I want to tell you good news. We are doing okay. Our bills are paid. Everything's all right. However, I have felt a deep conviction 
that if I do not speak about these things, I am doing you an injustice. And so I am asking people to pray about these fish bowls. To pray about, hey, maybe you're in a bowl and you're going, you know what, but that we got in that bowl years ago, really we could be in a different bowl. Maybe you're here and you're going, I'm not in a bowl. Maybe we should pray about getting in a bowl and being a part of this and being part of the team because they're God's resources. And I'm asking you, will you invest God's resources? Let's go to that last slide, Eddie. Can you be a part of it? And here's the whole thing, and I'll close with this. When we were talking about this series, we were talking about money, and most times in churches, when pastors are going to talk about money, they bring someone else in to do it. And I'm going to tell you, I got a couple of big swingers that are good guys to talk about this stuff, right? And I'm, I'm thinking, all right, I got Steve, I got Glenn, I could bring him. We're gonna, they're going to just really talk about this money thing. And then I felt like God said, Eric, you're the shepherd. Why would you bring in another shepherd to talk about something that you think is that important? They're your people, Eric. Lead them. God, but I don't want what. I'll have Ed do it, or I'll have Bob White do it, or I'll have this. And guess what? Any of those guys would have done it, but I feel like God's going, but I'm asking you. I'm asking you to do it. And so I'll close you with this. Why should we give? And I got a really good answer. I don't know, but he does. See, the point of it is, is that Almost everything I read in biblical training, they talk about pastors talking about money, is these talks always come up in times of crisis. But we're not in a financial crisis. But I almost feel like God's going, but Eric, I want to do something. But in order to do this, I need you guys to get moving now. In other words, if somebody said to you, hey, listen, next June you're going to run a marathon. It doesn't mean in June you're going to buy a pair of sneakers. It means you need to start getting ready now for then. What does God want to do? I have no idea yet. But all I know is I want us firing on all cylinders. The worship team's going to come up. I'll close you with this scripture. It says, let e let, so let each one of us give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And I would ask you to leave today and pray. Ask God, hey God, what would my role be in this? I was praying the other day and I felt a conviction about a ministry that I felt like we needed to support. I went to Pam. I said, Pam, I have this conviction. This is what I'm thinking. And Pam, listen, let's be real. These are Harley's conversations. She goes, oh, Eric, I don't know. I said, just pray. Maybe, I'm, maybe this is just heartburn. I just feel this conviction. I'm just praying. She goes, okay. A couple hours later, she came back. She goes, it's, I have it. Yeah, we've got to do this. She goes, I, I know, like, this is tight, that's tight. I don't know. But she goes, we have to do this. I said, well, well, when do you think we should start? She goes, I think we should start right now, today. We got to do this. 
What I'm asking you is to pray. Don't do anything on impulse. Don't do anything rash, let this moment do something crazy. Pray and ask God. We have offering boxes in the back. You can give online. If you have questions, Ed is our treasure. You can talk to him about this. We're not unapproachable. But I want to be real with you. Let's stand. I'm going to close this in a word of prayer, and then we'll have a song. Father in heaven, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this time. Lord, I just pray that as we consider these things, money is such a powerful thing in this world. And Lord, it would be ignorance to think of something this powerful in this world to not think that you would want to be in on it. And so, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for this building. We thank you for the ways you've blessed us in the past. Lord, we thank you that we are currently, even on our budget, and things are going okay. But, Lord, I pray that we would seriously consider how we are leveraging our financial resources for the kingdom. We thank you for this day, and we give you all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.